So we're in the middle of a series on the minor prophets, uh, books of the Bible that you may not have even heard of before or even thought that were there. And we'll be looking particularly today at a book called Nahum. All right, I'm about to put a picture up. Can you tell me, one, who these people are, what they do, and why we like them? Who they are, what they do, and why we like them. Well, maybe some of you like them. All right? All right, who are they? You can put your hand up if you really want to have a go at it. Who they are, what they do, and why we like them. Come on, Bob. They're the Avengers. What did you say the word up? Ah, is that what it is? The big green bloke at the back, maybe. Similar size, same shape, same temperament, maybe. Uh, They're called the Avengers. Uh, If you haven't seen them, they're pretty popular at the moment because they've had a couple of movies out recently. Uh, And there's a whole group of them and they're powerful superhumans. And their job is to go around the world and to deal with evil. Uh, Where there's a place or something going on that uh, evil is happening, then the Avengers are sent off to go and deal with that. and. The world finds comfort in that, don't don't they? We like that idea that someone will go and deal with evil. It's what all the superheroes are about, really. That's what they all are based on. But we know that when we get into the Avengers, even though some of them are just human and some of them are more than just human, but they're fallen, aren't they? Because in the very last Avengers, the last movie, we have them going against each other because they're unsure of what is right and wrong, but eventually they come back together. That's their good end of the story. Uh, but the whole idea of it is that they are out there to deal with evil. And that is a comfort, isn't it? To know that evil will be dealt with. Well, the book of Nahum is a book that speaks to us about how evil will be dealt with and the comfort that that brings. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Nahum. Uh, we will only uh, read chapter 1. Ron's going to read that for us. Uh, and then we're going to work our way uh, through that and see that we have a God of all comfort and it has to do with dealing with evil. Thanks, Ronnie. Nahum, uh, uh, chapter 1. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Ephesians. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and in the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Passion and calm are within, are wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. For the mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? 
Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like the fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He came for those who trust in him, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end to Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled amongst thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, O Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and counsels wickedness. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be cut off and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear and tear the shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and cast idols. They are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfil your vows. For no more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Uh, interesting passage, isn't it? Starts off really very, very strong and continues as well, doesn't it? But within it we get a picture in the middle about a God of comfort. It starts off very strong, doesn't it? Uh, that God will be the avenger. He'll be the avenger, the biggest avenger, the greatest avenger, the ultimate avenger. He's going to bring wrath on those that are against him. And it works its way through, doesn't it? Down till you get to verse 3 where we get this great statement. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power. The Lord will not let the guilty go unpunished. The Lord will not let the guilty go unpunished. That's a great thing, isn't it? That is a really good thing to know. Because sometimes I don't think we see that. And sometimes we don't think that that's going to happen. But God says that he will not let the guilty go unpunished. God will bring justice on the world, on everyone. Now remember where we are. We're in the middle of a series, I said, on uh, the Minor Prophets. And the very first week we saw Hosea. Who can remember what the book of Hosea, the big picture of Hosea was? It was the book of... just help you, wasn't it? It's a love story, isn't it? Uh, many people say that Hosea is probably the second biggest love story or best love story in history. The greatest one is Jesus, but the best, second best one is Hosea, a God who loves, who goes out and brings back his people, even though they completely despise him, even though they go off like a prostitute and uh, give themselves to everyone else, God welcomes them back. God is a God of love in Hosea. And then last week we saw that God was a God of the big picture. 
He's got the whole lot worked out. He knows the beginning and the end and he knows everything in the middle of that. And he is moving history towards the end of everything. But he's got it all. He's got the big picture. He knows our past, our present, our future and our eternity. He's got it all together. A God of love, a God of the big picture. And here this week we see that we have a God of justice. A God who is going to bring about justice in the world. Yeah, some people say to you, don't they? I, I've heard it say, that, I just want a God of love. That's the type of God that I want to have. Well, do you really just want a God of love? You want a God of more than that, don't you? Because we want a God who deals with injustice and evil as well. Some say, well, we've got a God of love, but then what about this God of justice? You can't have the two together, can you? Can you have one and the other, or can you have both? You know, how can you have a God who allows all evil that happens around the place, but you talk about this God of love? How can you have a God who talks about love, but yet also talks about hell? How can those two fit together? Well, the Bible says that they both fit perfectly together because we not only have a God of love and a God of justice, but we have a good God. A God who does everything exactly and absolutely right. That's what the verse 7 says, doesn't it? For God is good. And he can hold those two things together because he is perfect. He is the perfect love. He is the perfect justice. He is the perfectly good God who holds the two together. Both justice and love. And really, if you look deep into your heart, that is the type of God that you really do want. You see, this book of Nahum helps us pull that together in a sense. Uh, this book of Nahum is by a guy called Nahum and it's interesting that his name means comfort. Gives you a bit of a hint, doesn't it, to what the book's going to be about. Nahum, whose comfort, is going to bring to us a message of God's comfort. And it's a message, firstly... It doesn't sound very comforting, does it? Because to Nineveh, it doesn't sound very comforting at all. Uh, Nahum's speaking to Nineveh, who Jonah went to probably about 100 years before. And who knows what happened to Nineveh when Jonah went? Jonah came with a message from God. What did they do? They turned back, didn't they? They repented. Well, this is 100 years later and it doesn't look like they've repented for long. Uh, maybe another generation has come through. This next generation are not a group of people who've repented. When you read through Nahum, you actually see that these people are possibly one of the vilest, most evil nations that the world has ever seen. Uh, when you read through the rest of it, you'll see that there's a number of passages in chapter 2 and chapter 3 that give us a picture of how bad these Ninevites are. Uh, some commentators have said that the Ninevite kingdom was like having eight Hitlers in a row. That's how despicable and terrible they were. They were renowned throughout the world for how horrible and how badly they treated the people that they overtook. Now have a look at chapter 3. I'll put it up on the screen for you. And it gives you a little bit of a picture of what they are like. It says, Woe to the city of blood, Nineveh, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses, and jolting chariots, car charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears. Many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. 
all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of the sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. The picture is like mountains upon mountains of dead that the Ninevites did and the kings of Nineveh completely destroyed everyone and anything that they came across and treated them terribly, exterminated them where they wanted to, wiped them out where they wanted to, them, hung their corpses on the sides of their castles when they wanted to. They were a despicable, evil nation. And if you're living in Judah at that time, remember there was Israel at the north, Judah at the south, Israel have been taken over by the Assyrians at this point in time, put into exile, destroyed, killed. Judah down the bottom are being attacked. They look up there and they think, God, what is going on? How can these evil people get away with it? And if God wasn't a God of justice, they would be completely hopeless, wouldn't they? Completely hopeless. You see, not only were the Ninevites against people of the world, but they were against God himself. Chapter 1, verse 12 says, From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. See, as you read through Nahum, it starts off with God's wrath and God's anger. You think, wow, where's this coming from? By the time you get through it, you think, my God, I wish you'd step in now. These people need to be dealt with now. They are despicable. And God says, they're in trouble. Nahum speaks to Nineveh and tells them, you're in trouble. This is not a good sign for you guys, but to the people of Judah, this is a word of comfort. He says to them in verse 13, I'm against you, declares the Lord. I'll burn up your chariots of smoke and the sword will devour your young lions. I'll leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. And then in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, I'm against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I'll lift your skirts over your face and I'll show the nations your nakedness and the kingdom your shame. That would pretty be pretty embarrassing, wouldn't it? The worst thing is that they're saying that I am against you. God is saying I am against you. Now that has got to be the worst position you'd ever want to be in. Having God against you. What God is saying is he is against evil. Wherever it is. Whenever it shows its head, whenever it shows its face, God is against evil. He's a God of justice. He's a God who's going to pour that out on the Ninevites. And he does. You go to the end of chapter 3, right at the end it says, The king of Assyria, verse 18 and 19, Your shepherds slumber, your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? Can you take that back one for me? Uh, And at the end of that passage it says that the nations will celebrate what has gone on. God does step in and about 20 years after Nahum's prophecy, Assyria wiped out. The Babylonians come through, 
completely destroy them. And for centuries, no one could find where the city of Nineveh was. They couldn't find it. They couldn't pinpoint it because it was razed to the ground. It was completely destroyed. You see, God deals with evil. And at the end of the passage, it says, the cities will rejoice, the people will rejoice. They'll say, yes, Nineveh is gone. Uh, who knows what that was? It's a few years ago now. Uh, Saddam Hussein. When Saddam Hussein was overrun, uh, we're a long way past that now and things don't look a whole lot better in Iraq. Uh, but at that point in time, when an evil dictator was wiped out and removed, the people cheered. The people celebrated because evil had been dealt with. Justice has been done in their eyes. And God is saying that was what was going to happen when Nineveh was wiped out. The people will rejoice when evil is dealt with. And we rejoice too, don't we? When evil is dealt with. We really do want evil to be dealt with. We don't want evil to get away with it. We don't want that to be the case. We don't want at one point, even now or later or in the future, at any point in time, do we want evil to get away with it. That'd be a terrible place to be and that'd be a terrible God to believe in if we didn't believe that God was going to deal with injustice and evil. But he is and he will. And we've all experienced it in some way, haven't we? We've got it most clearly, in one sense, pointedly at us just this last week when 49 people were killed in Orlando, Florida. Just wiped out. Just taken off out of this world that was evil wasn't it we want justice or I heard the other day of uh, a lady who was in Qatar and uh, she'd been out drinking she'd been drugged uh, she was raped she woke up the next day in her room clothes all over the place went to the police told them what happened and what happened was she got charged for having sex outside of marriage they eventually picked up the guy who did do the rape and he was convicted, but she was convicted as well. And you look at that, we want justice, don't we? That is evil. That is not right. We want justice, don't we? We want evil to be dealt with. And God says he will. God says he will deal with it. may not be today, but one day he will deal with all evil. He will wipe it all out. He will destroy everything and everyone who is evil. You see, the Lord will not let the guilty go unpunished. That is a great comfort, isn't it? If you've experienced that bullying, if you've experienced shame, if you've experienced rape, if you've experienced anything that is going to even close that just in your sense you've been wrongly dealt with you've been dealt with in the wrong way you've been sacked you've been anything that's been done to you that you feel like you've been had an injustice god will not let the guilty go unpunished and the good news is that he is good and right in that it's not left up to us in the end because we're not perfect we're not the perfect avengers are we we get it wrong God is good and he will get it right. That's a great comfort to Judah in the middle of Nineveh coming bearing down on them. 
It's a great comfort to you and me as well that God will deal with the evil in the world. But there's also a scary aspect to it, isn't there? Because God says he will not let the guilty go unpunished. That is everyone who is guilty of any type of evil. Look at what he says. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good though, we're going to find out in a minute. But who can stand, he says, who can stand in the front of a holy God? Who can stand and say that I don't deserve any punishment? That I am completely good, that there is no evil in me? You see, we can't stand before a God like that by ourselves. But there is one place that is safe. There is one place that is a refuge. Verse 7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. You see, God's saying that all this evil is going to get hit, it's going to get hit, it's going to hit, it's going to get hit, but there is one safe bunker. There is one place where that will not happen and that is in me. I am the refuge. I am the safe place. I am the castle that when you're within me, none of this wrathful vengeance, none of this dealing, none of this will hit you because you will be safe with me. The only place safe against God's wrath and justice on evil is him himself. It's interesting, isn't it? It's only safety in him. That's a wonderful truth because when we get to the New Testament, we find out how that comes into that safe place and where that truly safe place is. Look in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. If you're thinking, oh, the Old Testament's all about wrath and vengeance and all that stuff, but the New Testament is all about love. Well, they're both about love and justice, both of them. In Romans 2 verse 1 it says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment. You do the same things. We pass judgment on others and we too are guilty. But yet look what God does. If you can read that. I had to try and fit it on one page. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all are pointing fingers at everyone else, but forget that there are three pointing back at us. For we have all have fallen short of God in the way that we've lived our lives, but yet God doesn't leave it that way. He provides a safe refuge for everyone in Him. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. For you and I, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still evil, Christ died for us. He is our refuge. He is our safe place. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Through now we have received 
refuge. We are safe in him. That is wonderful news, guys. That is so great comfort to us for those who know Jesus. God says to all of us, come to me, you will be safe in me. Jesus has taken my wrath himself so that you can have and experience my love for eternity. He stood in for us. You see, at the cross, God's love and justice meet. At the cross, God's love for you and me deals out his justice that you and I deserve on Jesus. His wrath, his anger, his vengeance is all poured out on him so that we can be friends with God forever, so that we can have a safe refuge with him. But we've got to come to it, don't we? We've got to trust that. We're going to enter into that refuge by trusting Jesus within it. God has provided the refuge. He has provided that safe place. We need to enter into it. Backburning. Uh, We see that a bit round here, don't we, in different times. Uh, The principle of backburning is that you start a fire, you burn it back this way, and then you'll be safe behind it because fire can't go over the top of where it's already been burnt, where it has already taken the fierce heat of the fire, it no longer will come there. You'll be safe behind that. Now, that doesn't work perfectly in Australia sometimes, does it? But that's the concept behind it. Where it has already been burnt, if you stand there, you are safe. You see, the backburning on evil for you and I has been dealt out on Jesus. And if we stand with him, we are safe. Safe for eternity. That is a wonderful comfort, isn't it? A wonderful comfort. God's love and justice meet at the cross. And if we trust in that, we're safe for all eternity. Who can stand? All those who stand with Jesus will stand. They're the ones who are safe. We have a God of comfort, don't we? A God of all comfort. A God who gives us comfort in Jesus, but also a God who gives us comfort to know that evil will not go unpunished. That God will deal with it. Those who can be safe will be safe in Jesus. Those who aren't will be experiencing God's wrath for eternity. That's scary. But in God's love, he provides a way out, doesn't he? The way out is safe in Jesus. Completely safe in his fortress behind that. But it's a great comfort to you and I to know too that one day evil will have its final day. There will be a day when evil will be wiped out completely. It will never impact us again. When we're in eternity with Jesus, never again. God's justice will be done. God's justice will be done on everything that is evil in this world. There's a couple of things there for us, isn't there? One is, the warning to Nineveh is a warning to all of us. 
run to Jesus. Run into his arms and there you'll be safe and you'll have comfort there for eternity. The comfort too is for us to know that evil will be dealt with, that people will not get away with the evil that they do in this world. The Hitlers and so forth of this world will be dealt with and all evil will be dealt with at some point in time. Justice will be served. But our loving God has provided a safety place for us as well. But it also reminds us too that we should be like God and stand up to injustice as well. Now that could be a whole other talk, couldn't it? As we think about how God stands against injustice in this world, that we too should stand up for injustice in this world, against it. We should be standing up for those that are depraved and, de- and taken out, those who are refugees and have been dealt with harshly and evilly by the world around us, those that have had bullying, those that have been raped, those that have been extorted, those that have been dealt with in any way, and even us ourselves, when we see injustice amongst us, we should stand up for each other because God stands against it as well. Because we have a God of all comfort, a God of justice, a God of love, and a God who is perfectly good. What a great God we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's it's hard when we live in a world where we see so much injustice and so much evil. And sometimes, Lord, we just throw our hands in the air and we think, when will this ever, ever be dealt with? But, Lord, we thank you that you know that and that you will deal with it and you will call everyone to account. You will not let the guilty go unpunished, Lord. Lord, we thank you for that comfort, but we also thank you for that warning. And we pray, Lord, that in that warning it will drive us towards you and not away from you, but drive you to the safety of our refuge within you, your safe fortress that you've prepared for us, that you've made possible for us in Jesus. Lord, may we run towards that, experience your safety and your comfort, Lord, for all eternity. And Lord, may that drive us to be thankful for all that we have in Jesus and drive us into a world, Lord, to bring that great message of refuge and safety and comfort in Jesus. Drive us into the world, Lord, to be people who seek to right the wrong and to be against injustice in this world. To be people who show your love and concern for a dying and broken and evil world. Pray, Lord, that you'll help us with that. We ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Next week we look at Zephaniah.